Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. I pretty much love everything about Christmas. I, I, I even love shopping for presents. In fact, I might love shopping for presents more than almost anything. I, I love finding things that surprise the people I love. And, and, and it might even be a little bit selfish because there's, for me, almost nothing more rewarding than to have someone open something that you've taken care to purchase for them. And, and it brings them a level of surprise and wonder and joy and happiness, even just for a moment. But, but, but purchasing gifts is not that easy, especially the longer you know someone. I, Kim and I have been married for so long now that it, I know her incredibly well, but pretty much everything we could buy for each other, we've already purchased. And so it gets harder and harder and harder to buy something. Aaron is 29, Mariah is 25. It's, it, it's harder to buy for Aaron. It, it's easier to buy for Mariah because she sends us lists and, of, of things that you know, would inspire her and, uh, and affirm our love for her. And, and, and so it's, it is somewhat easier to buy for her, but... But wouldn't it be great if you could just buy one gift that took care of all time? Not that you never had to buy a gift again, but it was a gift that was so rewarding, so enriching, so fulfilling, that they would never want anything else from you again. In fact, when you were going to do something else for them, buy something else for them, they said, no, 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 I'm still good. The once for all gift. See, I'm so convinced that that is the wonder of this moment. Why we keep retelling the story of Jesus, of a virgin named Mary giving birth to a son named Jesus, who has come to be the savior of the world. How across the world the story still fascinates us. Even when we don't believe in God, it draws us, it pulls us in. It makes us wonder if there's more to life than this. But if Jesus is that once-for-all gift, why is it that so many of us don't really want that gift? Have you ever wanted to buy someone something, but you knew that they wouldn't get it as the way you get it? You know, it's a gift that you want for them, but they don't want for them. You see, one of the challenges sometimes is to see something that you know they would love, but you know they wouldn't understand that they would love it. And, and have you ever done this where you've prepared the way for the gift? You began talking about the gift. You, be, you began talking about other people who love the gift. You talk about what the gift can do for other people. You, you, you sort of prepare the way. To, and, and maybe you even go shopping and you walk near that gift to see if there's any magnetic pull toward the gift. And when there's not, you work your way back around again and you, you see anything you like. And, there, there have been gifts that I've actually prepared the way for. Things that I, I knew that maybe Kim wouldn't like or, 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 or Aaron or Mariah wouldn't like. But I thought, this is such an amazing gift. They just have to want it. But they didn't. It's sort of like fruitcake. 
I, I, I don't know where that began. And I don't know how it will end. But, but I, I'm convinced there's only one fruitcake that travels the world among all of us. And, and that somehow it's, it's made its way to all of our houses. Because no one wants a fruitcake. No, nobody wakes up going, I hope this year. I mean, I didn't get one last year. I hope this year someone gives me a fruitcake. And if you're that person giving the fruitcake, stop it. Stop the madness. It's time to bring it to an end. You have the power to do this for others. But you know what I've come to realize is that Jesus has become like fruitcake at Christmas. He's a part of the story of Christmas, but not the part that anybody wants. He becomes the accessory, the thing that we gift over and over again. See, I think for some of us, the way fruitcake passes, but it never actually gets to us. We never really enjoy it, partake of it. See, I think for many of us, Jesus passes through our lives every Christmas season, but never becomes a part of our lives beyond the season. There's always that gift that doesn't quite fit. It's the gift that we need but do not want. I, I, I bought myself something. I, I actually saw this podium when I was traveling, and it's a podium for an iPad. I thought, that's so amazing. I can actually put my iPad on here. Because for the past maybe three years, I, I don't use the Bible. I mean, I do use the Bible, but, but I, I, I don't use a physical Bible. I use an iPad. And, and my Bible's on the iPad. And it's not because we like being cutting edge or innovative or technological. It's because I, I can't see the print. It's just really pragmatic. And it, if I were going to bring up here a physical Bible big enough for me to read it, it would be immense. It would take three people to bring it up and just lay it down. And I'd have to call people up to open it and turn the pages. And so I use an iPad so that I can actually read the text. And I, I get a note this, this week, your podium is here. Your iPad podium is here. And, and for every Sunday, for probably the last three years, I've only walked up here with my iPad, but I couldn't find my iPad. So on the day I actually have the podium that only fits an iPad, I have to pull out my physical Bible. And I realized it actually fits as long as I don't open it. I think the dilemma is that Jesus seems like a bad fit for us. That what God has given us is not what we've asked God to give us. And what's really uncanny is that God did everything possible to prepare a people to want to receive what he was going to give them. All the way back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way back to David and Solomon, all the way to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Jesus, the entire history of the people of Israel was God preparing a people who would actually want to receive what he had to give to all of humanity. And he gave them a narrative, he gave them a history, and he gave them a language. that One day, the Messiah would come. One day, the Christ would come. One day, the Savior of the world would come. One day, God would step into human history. All the way back to Isaiah. He painted a picture letting him know one day a virgin would give birth to a child. Now, that should be a significant sign that something was different in human history. Because it rarely ever happened, by the way. 
that a virgin has given birth to a child. But God said, I want you to pay attention to this because this is going to happen. And, and this is going to be the precursor of what has to happen for all of humanity to find their way back to me. And so when you read the scriptures, you find God over and over again preparing them. Telling them, this is the gift I'm bringing to you. This is what you need. This is what should bring you the greatest hope. Is that I'm going to step into human history, take on flesh and blood That God would become human and walk among us and live a perfect and beautiful life and then be crucified. And that his sacrifice would be our way to life. This wasn't an unexpected gift. It just was an unwanted gift. So when Jesus came, he didn't look like the gift they thought they were going to get. They accepted the language of a Messiah. They accepted the language of a Christ. They accepted the idea of a Savior. But they wanted a different kind of Savior. And so when Jesus came, in a sense, God unwrapped his gift. The once for all gift for all of us. They said, no, that would, no thanks. We don't want that. And the great dilemma is that the greatest gift that we have ever been offered is not something that we necessarily want but it is desperately something that we need. So you find this moment in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, where Jesus comes into the world. And beginning in verse 18, the story begins like this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. I love how Matthew writes this. He writes it as if it were a historical document. He's just laying out the text for a documentary. He's just telling us what happened. And he writes it as if it is a normal occurrence in human history. Although it is nothing but extraordinary. There is nothing normal about this moment. You see, when God steps into human history, if God has ever stepped into human history, we should expect there to be a disturbance in the universe. I I love how ordinary people are confronted by God and it begins to change everything for them. And I want us to take a moment and see what happens when God invades our space. So this is the birth of Jesus Christ, how it all came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. I really feel for Joseph. We don't know anything about Joseph. Joseph almost seems incidental to the story. 
Joseph becomes the man who takes the role of being the father of Jesus. Can you imagine being entrusted with the son of God and his mother? Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So this makes perfect sense. Can you imagine being engaged to someone? And then she comes to you and says, hey, I need to tell you before we're married that I'm pregnant. And you know it's not yours. I mean, what would you think? I mean, I, even if you were in love with her, sometimes when you're in love, your, your reason goes mad and you might think to yourself, well, we can work this out. I, and, and maybe Joseph was that kind of man thinking, well, maybe we can work our way through this. Maybe it happened because it was, it was against your will or, or maybe you, you lost your mind in a moment. But, but Joseph could not make sense of this moment. Can you imagine having someone come to you and say, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. I'm still a virgin. See, normally those things are mutually exclusive. And, and can you imagine being Joseph saying, no, no, just be honest with me. Just be real with me. Just tell me what really happened. Maybe we can work our way through this. Because no, I'm telling you, I'm still a virgin and God did this. See, about then you start running for your life because you know you're dating a crazy person. But Joseph was an honorable, righteous man because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. I did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly because in their context, there is, a, there is a stage in engagement that is the same as marriage. And, and so they were already committed to each other. And in that process, Joseph decided, you know, I'm just going to put her away quietly. I'm just going to divorce her quietly. And I'm going to let her go her way. I'm going to go my way. And then an angel shows up. Talk about ruining your day. Now, there's some of you, you only show up at church on Christmas. And maybe you at Easter when you're feeling really, really spiritual. And because you only show up at Christmas, you hear a lot of talk about angels. And there's some of you here, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the scriptures, you think we're out of our minds because we're always talking about angels because you come once a year. But I want you to know the other 51 weeks, we're not talking about angels here. It just happens that there are a lot of angels involved in this moment. And maybe you're like, yeah, but I've been around like crazy people who see angels everywhere. Those are just crazy people. I'm just telling you. See, this is what I would call a cluster event. This is a unique event in human history. So there's a lot of unusual activity taking place. A lot of angelic activity taking place. Joseph had never seen an angel before. He never expected to see an angel. And he was out of his realm of experience when an angel shows up. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So at least it was in a dream, so he didn't think he was cloaked completely out of his mind. And said, Joseph, son of David, that would be terrifying. To be in a dream, and the angel says, you, I know you. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, he doesn't say, don't be afraid of me. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary. Now, if I'm being confronted by an angel... That's the most terrifying thing in my life right then. But more terrifying than having an encounter with an angelic being was deciding to take Mary as his wife. Because that would disrupt his entire life. 
Now, I want you to know something. See, I think sometimes we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, we tell the story of the nativity. It sounds so romantic and, and so calming and so serene. But what no one tells you is that when God invades your life, God disrupts your life. Joseph's life was completely disrupted. It was absolutely ruined. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus. You have this responsibility. You're going to give him his name. So we need you to be there. We need you to lean into this. And I think the reality is a lot of us act as if we can actually have an encounter with God. And it have no effect on our life. See, if God has not disrupted your life, you have not had an encounter with God. I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that, like, they, they, they talk about God as if it's the same thing as just getting, like, a cappuccino. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm good with God. Yeah, I believe in God. Now, and, and I've asked so many people, well, when did you give your life to Jesus? And they'll say, oh, when I was 8, when I was 10, when I was 12, when I was 20. And, 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 and then I, I have a follow-up question. You know, when did Jesus ruin your life? I, I mean, disrupt your life. I, I mean, change your life. Because you know what I've discovered is a lot of people come to believe in Jesus, but they've never actually been disrupted by him. Now, here's my question. Is it really possible? Do you think it's actually possible to have the creator of the universe, the God who spoke all the universe into existence by just speaking a word? Do you think it's really possible to have the God who creates an ever-expanding cosmos, solar systems, galaxies, black holes, black mat- dark matter, dark energy? Do you think it's really possible to have the creator of all things come into your life and it just didn't affect you? We're just good. You and God are just chill. <laughs> Joseph's life was turned upside down because that's what happens when you meet God. He disrupts everything. And I understand why a lot of people actually become atheists or agnostics. When they get around people who say they believe in God. Because if God exists, he should be changing everything in your life. He should be absolutely ruining you the way you were before and transforming you into something new. See, Joseph did not want this future. When when the angel says, I want you to... Give your life to Mary, and I want you to give yourself completely to this purpose, this intention. This was not Joseph's desire, but it was his destiny. I want to ask you, has God disrupted your life? Has he ruined your plans? Are are you a planner? Anybody here a planner? You like to schedule your day, your week, your life? See, if, if God has not ruined your plans, I don't know if you've ever met God. And I hear a lot of language people say, I've been a Christian all my life. I, I know what you mean. It's, it's so sweet. But, but it, it's not possible. See, I've been a Latino all of my life. That's different. I found out from genetic testing, I've been Jewish all of my life. There were no symptoms, but I, I am. And <laughs> there are the things that you can be all your life. You've been human all of your life. But you can't be a Christian all of your life. Because you see, there has to be a moment where God encounters you and you lean into that encounter and you sense that God is shaking everything inside of you to pieces and you have to decide to lean into that disruption 
And as, as crazy as it is, Jesus is stepping into human history. It means that you have to be willing to let God disrupt you and change you. And that change is dramatic. It's intense. It's real. Joseph was never the same again. And I, I, I wish somebody had cared enough to let him write about his life. I mean, why didn't God let him write something in the Bible? I think he should have had the life of Mary and Jesus from the perspective of Joseph. An autobiography, right? You know, <laughs> he should have had memoirs. Because the moment he decides to take care of Mary and become the father of Jesus, his life just went downhill from there. After Jesus was born, God said, oh, by the way, run! They're going to kill you. Go to Egypt. I don't know anybody in Egypt. Go to Egypt or you're going to die. I don't know if anyone ever told you how much fun it is to follow Jesus. But everyone in this story of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, no matter where Mary was, she was going to be where God was born. No matter where Jesus was, he was going to be there. The only one that may not have been there was Joseph. He had to choose to be where God was going. And this is a part of what God has come to do. God has come to disrupt your life. So that you will go where he is going. So that his presence would become your reality and your life. But then the story progresses. It says, but after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. Because what, is she, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And here's your assignment. You will give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. When I read that the first time, I just let it sort of sink in. And he will save his people from their sins. See, the name Jesus is intimately connected to this concept of sin. The name Jesus means savior. It's from the same Hebraic root of Joshua, which also means savior. And ironically, the name Jesus was not an uncommon name. It wasn't like God picked the name that no one had. They go, oh, wow, your name is savior. It was a common name in their culture. Like in Mexico, there are so many Jesuses and Marias. I mean, everybody is a Jesus or Mary. Every family has an instantaneous nativity scene in, in Latin America. And so Jesus was a common name. The reason it became an extraordinary name is because Jesus lived an uncommon life. See, when we hear the name Jesus, we don't go, which Jesus? We just go, oh, Jesus. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you go, yeah, Jesus. It doesn't really matter. If you're an atheist, I don't believe in Jesus. You know who you're talking about. You're an agnostic. You go, I'm not really sure. Yeah, but, I, but you know who you're not sure about. It's Jesus. And, 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 and at the very least, you have to go, okay, Gandhi, Mohammed, Mandela, Schweitzer, Mother Teresa, Desmond Tutu. There are certain icons in history. And you go, Jesus. Kind of fills that space. But the name Jesus was supposed to be connected to one promise, that he would save his people from their sins. We don't talk a lot about that because it sounds so judgmental. I mean, the moment I, I, I say the word sins, it makes me nervous. Because that, that's what you've been waiting for. Especially if this is your one time. I knew it! I knew it! They're going to judge me! They're going to use that sin language! I thought, oh, what, what other word could I use? 
I mean, I just saw Star Wars, and can we just talk about the darkness? <laughs> but, but here's the problem. See, this statement was never made as a judgment. It wasn't actually made to be judgmental. What's so crazy about the statement is that it was just said as common knowledge. It, it assumed we understood that we were broken. It, it assumes we understood that there was something that we had lost, and he will save his people from their sins. See, he wasn't actually trying to tell us something he didn't think we knew about ourselves. He came to save us from something that was eating away at us from the inside out. And so I, I started playing with this, and I, and I thought, you know, this is an interesting thing, because, because ultimately, if we take that phrase, and, is, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, and change that, say, and you will give him the name Jesus, and he will save his people from themselves. It, it sounds kinder, doesn't it? If I said to you, Jesus came to save you from yourself, you might go, okay. But if I say he came to save you from your sins, you go, what are you talking about? You don't know me. Right? You're right. I don't know you specifically. That's why I'm being general. But if I say he came to save you from yourself, but here's the reality. When the scriptures actually say his name will be called Jesus and he will save you from your sins, he's actually saying he will save you from yourself. Because it's actually less judgmental to say sins than to save you from yourself. You go, oh yeah, sins, they're like gallstones. You have to work their way out. They're painful, but they're not me. But, but actually, sins are not like kidney stones or gallstones. This is a description of our broken essence. That something has gone desperately wrong inside of the human heart. Have you ever noticed how those things that we would identify as our darkness, they, they, they stick to us so profoundly, so deeply. Like bitterness. Like fear. Like anger and violence. Have you ever noticed how deep greed can go? How deep envy can go? Have you ever tried to shake yourself free from depression? Shake yourself free from despair? Have you ever tried to solve the problem of your deep loneliness by yourself? Isn't it odd how it's not something external? You don't need a skin ointment to deal with the devastation of the human spirit. There's something deep inside of us that is broken. If you want to understand sin, it is that part of us that is broken that allows all the darkness of the human story to root deeply into us and consume us. Why is that? Shouldn't hope go deeper? Shouldn't love go deeper into us? Shouldn't joy be more intrinsic to who we are when we're not trying? Right? Let's just, let's just make this an effortless moment. When you're not trying, shouldn't the natural thing to be, oh, man, I'm so loving. Oh, look at me. When I'm, not, when I'm not trying, I'm just so alive. I'm so full of joy. Anybody like that? Or, or is the truth you're going, wow, I have to work for that. And then when I, when I go into default mode, when I, when I allow the, the magnetic force of my core to pull me in, suddenly I find myself so broken again. See, that's why his name is Jesus. See, we want Jesus to fix the problems of the world. Even if you don't believe in God. I mean, wouldn't that be a good assignment for God? I mean, if God exists, why doesn't he just fix the problems of the world? We got a few. 
You could pick one, God. Start wherever you want. End poverty. Wouldn't that be a good one? God, end injustice. God, end the sex trade. God, end hunger. God, end homelessness. There are so many problems in the world. If there's a God, why isn't he on it? Because his name is Jesus. And he understands that all the problems in the world will never be solved if we don't solve the problem in us. Because all the problems in the world are simply the external reality of the problem in us. And if God can fix... And if God could fix the problem in us, he would fix every problem in the world. It's the once for all. See, every problem in human history could be solved if we would let God change the human heart. <laughs> so it's simple. His name will be called Jesus. And I, that's a great name. Has anybody here ever like, checked the etymology of your name? Like, what does your name mean? Have you ever been really like terribly disappointed? Wow, wow, it means that. Right? You know, I've done that. I was hoping like with a name like Irwin, you kind of hope it means something awesome. But no, it's just, it means just like Irwin. And, and, and I, I've always like, I've carried the curse of my name all my life, Irwin. I mean, we don't talk about that publicly, but let's just be honest for a moment. Alexander. Irwin. Right? Michelangelo. Erwin. It's just, it just frustrating. Picasso. Erwin. I, I'm like, why? That's why it's so hard. Like, you know, I have a friend here in Emerson. I mean, it's bad enough he's good looking and cool and Bolivian and Mexican, right? But his name is Emerson. I, I, I believe he has like a twin brother named Leonardo. <laughs> and I'm Irwin. I love traveling with him. Hi, this is Emerson. I'm Irwin. <laughs> and I thought, it doesn't matter what I do. I could cure everything. No one's going to name their kid after me. It's just not going to happen. It's like, he cured everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not naming my kid after him. You, you know, and... Rather name him polio, and you know, let's name him after what he cured, you know. And that's not going to happen. And I remember years and years and years ago, I thought, man, I need to change my name so I can have a better name. And one of my uh, friends years and years ago said, you know, some people get a name that defines them, but you're going to actually define your name. And I've always carried that on. I go, all right, I'm going to live a life where Irwin actually means something that it didn't mean before it belonged to me. See, the name Jesus was carried by other people. And other people have carried the name of Savior. But no one has given that name what Jesus gave it. Because he came to save you from yourself. And... And then the passage wraps up in the most confusing of ways. You ever read the Bible and one verse seems to be completely disconnected from the next one? And then the next one goes back to the one before and you're like, did the pages stick together? Did Matthew forget? I mean, he's writing this. Doesn't he even read it? 
Because in verse 21 it says, she will give birth to a son and you are given the name Jesus. Got it. I have one assignment to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from his sins. And then in verse 25 it says, but he had no union with her, speaking of Joseph, until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Pretty straightforward, right? You have one job, name him Jesus. And then he named him Jesus. So right in between... In verse 23, it says, or 22 and 23, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin, got that, will be with child, check, and will give birth to a son. Bam. Drop the mic. And they will call him. What? <laughs> Didn't you just read right before that? You're going to name him Jesus right after that. You name him Jesus, but in between you've got, and he'll be called Emmanuel. Which means God with us. But Jesus means Savior. So which one is it? Jesus, Jesus, Emmanuel. (laughs) See, I, I, I think that there are some people who are just too big for one name. And Jesus has too many dimensions to be described by simply one name. But if you if you hear Jesus who comes to save us from our sins, Jesus, who comes to save the world. If you don't understand that in between Jesus and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, you will not understand who Jesus is. Because our temptation is to say, Jesus, oh, we love Jesus, he's a great teacher. Or Jesus, he's, he's, a, he's a compassionate humanitarian. Or Jesus, he was a great philosopher. Oh, you know, Jesus, Socrates. Jesus, Mandela. Jesus Gandhi. No, I see one of the differences is that Jesus carries the name Emmanuel. God with us. It's because Jesus, when he enters into your life, when he steps into your space, when you allow him to invade where you are, he will disrupt you. But he will also save you. And I know that's not politically correct. I know that I'm not supposed to say that you need saving. And so if you don't think you need saving, just, just ignore what I have to say. But if you're here and you've listened carefully to your soul, and in the quiet moments you've heard the despair that haunts you, if you've come to the place where you've owned your fear and your doubts, if you've come to that place where you don't want to carry guilt and shame any longer, if you finally come to that place in your struggle where you are just done trying to fight your sense of meaninglessness and insignificance by yourself, and you realize there's a God who loves you, who sees you, who knows you, and has come for you. And his name isn't simply Jesus because he wants this transactional moment where he saves you. His name is Emmanuel because he comes to be with you. And this, this is the singularity that science keeps searching for. It's the once for all. It's that God can solve every problem in human history by solving the problem in humans who make that history. See, God came 
because you were never created to live apart from him. Jesus came because you were designed for a relationship with the creator of the universe. See, your soul was never supposed to be a container for hate. Your soul was never supposed to be a source for bitterness or greed or envy. Your soul was never supposed to be marked or defined by emptiness and loneliness and despair. And when you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with with fear and you struggle with stress and something inside of you says there's something broken in me, I want you to know that's why Jesus came. He said, I need you to, to step into that. I need you to own where you are and who you are. Because if you will own who you are, you will understand who I am and why you need me. This Christmas Eve, man, don't let Jesus be the fruitcake that just passes through and passes on. Let him be for you the source of life, the source of hope, the source of love. For when the child came, When the virgin gave birth to the Son of God, it was the beginning of a new story. Peace on earth and goodwill toward all mankind. And let me tell you, every problem in humanity's future can be solved if our hearts are changed by God's presence in us. That's why Jesus came. So I want you to take a moment right now I just want you to bow your heads with me. Just close your eyes. And I want to begin this moment with those of you who are in your own hearts and minds furthest from God. I'm not going to define that for you. I'm going to let you define that for yourself. There are some of you here, and you are an atheist. You're an agnostic. Maybe you don't know what you are, but you just know that, that you just don't believe in God or don't know God or just never really considered God. But if you're here right now and you're an atheist, you would say, you know, I'm an atheist. I just want to be honest. I'm an atheist. But if God were out there, I, I want him to find me. If you're here and you're an agnostic, you say, I just don't know. I just, I'm just so confused. I just don't know. I just don't even know if you can know. But if you're here and you're an agnostic, but you would say, I'm an agnostic. I just don't even know if you can know. But if I can come to know God, if God's out there, I want him to find me. I want him to show up. I want him to ruin my life, to disrupt everything. If you're here, you'd say, I, I, I'm on the outside of faith looking in. But if God is real, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is the source of life, I'd love to know that. If that's you, whether you're an atheist or agnostic or just a person searching, but you're saying, hey, if God, if you're out there, would you find me? I want you right now just to turn your light on right now, if that's you. Right now, just turn that light on. If a star can stop existing billions of years ago and still send light across the universe to us, Right now, I want you to turn that light on if you're an atheist, an agnostic, if you're a person without faith right now. I want you to turn that light on 
let that light go out into eternity right now. Say, God, here I am. Right now, I'm just going to let that light be a beacon so you can know God sees you, loves you, that you matter to him. And if you're that person right now, and you said, I'm an atheist agnostic, I'm outside of faith, but if God's out there, I want him to find me. I just want you to hold your light up right now. I want to see you right now. Right now, just hold your light up. If that's you, beautiful. Anyone else, right now, just hold it up. I just want to know. I want to be able to pray for you. Beautiful. Father, I pray for those right here that would just say, hey, I'm a long way away. I don't believe, I don't know. I don't even know if you can't know. But right now, I'm just taking a, a step and saying, God, if you're out there, I'm here. And I'd like to know that you exist. I'd like to know you're real. Jesus, if you're real, make yourself known to me right now. You can put those down. Now, if you're here right now, you'd say, you know, I, I, I need to cross the line of faith right now. I'm ready to trust Jesus with my life. I finally get it. It finally makes sense to me. And on this Christmas Eve, I want to give my life to Jesus. This is the greatest gift exchange of your life. Right now, you, if you will give your life to Jesus, Jesus will give his life to you. And so right now, I just want you to whisper a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, I just whisper this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here and you're ready to trust Jesus with your life, if you're here and you're ready to cross that line of faith, right now, just pray these simple words. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you right now, I want you to turn your light on right now. If that's you right now, on this Christmas Eve, let this be the moment you say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your love. Anyone else right now, just turn it on if that's you. Just whisper these words, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, I want you to hold your light up right now. Just hold it up right now. Beautiful. All over the room. Anyone else right now, just hold it up beautiful you can put it down just for a moment now if you're here you would say I can't even fully explain it I don't even know if I have the words but somewhere in my life I opened my life to Jesus and he changed everything for me and I just want to take a moment and say to everyone here Jesus is my life he's my source of love and hope and meaning I've crossed that line of faith and I found Jesus is worthy of my trust. I want you to turn your light on right now. Just click that light on right now. And I want you to hold that light up right now. Now, if you already held up that light, I want you to hold your light up with them right now. And if you haven't turned your light on, man, just turn it on right now and say, I don't know what's going on in my life, but <laughs> I don't want to live in the dark. <laughs> And what I want us to do right now, because if you're here and, oh, by the way, maybe you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or you're a Hindu and you're going, I'm a Buddhist, but I'd love to know more about Jesus. I'm a Hindu, but I'd love to know more about Jesus. I'm a Muslim, but I want to know more about Jesus. You turn that, that light on right now because we want you to know something. Your family here, your community to us, you belong here. You don't have to agree with us to be with us. You don't have to believe to belong. We're going to love you every breath along the way 
because we want you to know that the best proof of God is the way God changes people to love people. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I would encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply to your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.